The American Petroleum Institute, driving safety, environmental protection, and sustainability across the natural gas and oil industry through world-class standards and safety programs. Since its formation as a standard-setting organization in 1919, API has developed more than 800 standards to enhance industry operations worldwide. Find out more at api.org. Don't be scared to be yourself at the risk of not being accepted because diversity is what makes teams successful. And if you shy back from who you are so that you fit in, then you're not only doing yourself a disservice, you're doing your company a disservice. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast. If you're interested in getting your hands on some OGGN swag, we have a merch store now, people. Matter of fact, if you order an Oil and Gas Industry Leaders t-shirt, take a picture of it, send it to me. I'll give you a shout out on the show. And while you're doing that, go sign up for our Sunday update. It goes up every week on Sunday. There's definitely some behind-the-scenes moments with the OGGN team and exclusive perks to check out that shows up in your box every single week. All right, let me introduce this week's guest. I'm sitting here today with Megan Pearl, Vice President of Technology at Locus Bioenergy and also named Oil and Gas Investors 25 Influential Women in Energy 2023. Congratulations, Megan, on that title. Let's talk about how you got started in the industry. Yeah, Paige, thank you so much for the introduction. I grew up in the middle of a farming community in the Midwest, in the middle of nowhere, Illinois. Oil and gas really didn't mean anything to me other than stuff that I put in my car to make it run. And I was from a small town with big dreams. And eventually, after college, I went to graduate school at University of South Carolina, where I worked on some spectroscopic filter technologies in chemistry. My last year of graduate school, a big oil and gas company bought the rights to some of the patents that had been developed through that sort of technology that my laboratory was working on. Mm -hmm. Although I had nothing to do with it at the time, fast forward one year, I'm at a postdoc at Sandia National Laboratories. And this company, this oil and gas company called me, what seemed to me, it was out of the blue. They said, you know, we have a job for you. And I said, I don't even know who you are. What is this job? (laughs) How did you get my name? They said, well, we asked your graduate advisor who he would recommend to sort of lead this technology, integrate it within the company. And he said, you. That's awesome. Yeah. I said, okay, well, what is this job? They said, well, it's a job uh, first relocating to Houston and then to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil to help open up a technology center there. And of course, I had no kids at the time. I was newlywed. I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So the idea of moving to Rio was very attractive. But there was one problem, which was my husband was also a chemist, recent graduate with his PhD. And I told them, this company, my husband recently graduated. He can't like not work for three years. And they said, well, we'll give him a job too. So we packed up, moved to Houston, and we started with Halliburton on the same day. 
and moved to Brazil on the same day to set up the Brazilian Technology Center in Rio wow. de Janeiro. Wow. How awesome is that? It was pretty cool. <laughs> Very unheard of where they go, oh, well, okay, we'll take both of you. Yeah, I think they definitely got the good end of the deal because I would say my husband and I both have our PhDs in chemistry. We studied totally different things. Neither one of us ever had a dream of going into oil and gas, so it kind of just fell upon us. But, you know, I have no issue saying he is a much more brilliant chemist than I am, which is why now I'm in the leadership and executive management positions, right? (laughs) (laughs) So how did you end up in South Carolina and then in New Mexico? Like I said, I'm from Illinois. Right. That's where I'm like, you're all over the place. I was absolutely counting down the days until I could leave Illinois. I felt like I had outgrown my tiny little farming community. We had 1,200 people, no stoplights, as many churches as there are bars, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I was just really looking forward to getting out of there and experiencing more of the world. I grew up with just my dad, and so he was very hesitant to sort of I'll say cut the cord. And I was also a little hesitant to leave him because we became such a dynamic duo, you know, my whole life. So I agreed to stay close for my undergraduate education. But the deal I made with him was, okay, I'm giving you four more years in Illinois. And then after that, I'm going far away. (laughs) And so that is what brought me to University of South Carolina for graduate school, where I did meet my husband there. Four years into graduate school, I finished and I applied for a postdoc at Sandia National Laboratories in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Ah, okay. It was one of those things that when I read the description for the postdoc, I thought, man, this is me, like 100%. I feel like they wrote this job description for me. What I was doing in graduate school is very, very niche. I wasn't like a chemist like you think of in the white lab coat, blending chemicals together. I was building instruments for analysis and then Mm -hmm. developing the algorithms to analyze that data. So very unconventional in terms of chemistry. Yeah. And so when I saw this job, I thought this must be written in the stars here. I did get that postdoc. We moved to New Mexico and it was one year. It was a great time. Postdocs are meant to be short-lived, but Mm -hmm. I got to do some really exciting things at Sandia, none of which I can talk about because I had a security clearance and it was all classified, but I'll just assure you it was a lot of fun. (laughs) I bet. Uh, We'll have to talk off the mic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about what you do now with Locus. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I am the vice president of technology at Locus Bioenergy. I do get a lot of LinkedIn messages from IT companies and software engineers asking if I need someone to help me develop my software. Because when they think of technology, that is the first thought is IT. However, I always like to respond to these people that I'm actually in old school technology, like research and development, scientific technology, and I employ scientists, not software engineers. <laughs> That's my favorite thing about LinkedIn is they don't actually look at your profile or anything. They just reach <laughs> yeah. out to you. So like my inbox is full of financial advisors asking me if I need help. I've got those two, yes, and I just don't even respond. There's just too many of them. Yes, I know. (laughs) So at Locus, I do have a team of scientists, and we do lead all of the new product development for our company. Locus Bioenergy focuses on high-performing specialty chemicals for all things oil and gas. 
you think of any sort of problem that you might have in oil and gas, and we either currently have a solution or we're in the process of developing a solution. So some of the issues that we tackle within the industry are getting more oil out of the reservoir, are blocking or breaking up things that might impede flow out of the reservoir, cleaning anything that you might store or transport crude oil in, which is like one of my favorite parts of what I do. Not necessarily cleaning. I was gonna nobody say. likes cleaning. <laughs> yeah, no, no, nobody likes cleaning. Believe me, I'm a mom of three. All I do is clean. But one of my favorite parts of what I get to do here at Locus is it's just constant innovation. We are not a solution looking for a problem, right? There are yeah. so many problems that need to be solved within oil and gas. And we get to find cool, innovative ways to do that. And we do that with biosurfactants, which are naturally produced chemicals. We produce our biosurfactant through fermentation, not unlike how you would ferment beer. I was going to say that sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) I promise you, you probably do not want to drink our biosurfactants. (laughs) They probably don't taste as good as beer, but they are highly effective at helping mobilize crude oil out of the reservoir. Good. That's great. That's fantastic. So a lot of that's straight oil field stuff. Yep. Straight oil field stuff. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. I would see where the LinkedIn people would be like, IT, da, 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 da. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, let's get a little bit into leadership. And by a little, I mean a lot. So what is leadership to you, Megan? The way I approach leadership is enabling my team to be the best that they can be. If that means that I am helping prepare the coffee in the morning, all the way to defining projects for them to work on, to answering their questions, anything that I can do to help them be the best versions of themselves. I am a scientist by training, but I stepped out of the laboratory many years ago and into leadership. and. Because of that, I do understand what it's like to be the one in the lab facing the problem, trying and trying and trying and not being able to find a solution. And that sometimes you just need that support. And that support comes in many, many different ways. I don't ever want to treat my team like something is beneath me. Yeah. If they need me to go in the lab and help them prepare a sample for a customer or clean something up, I am absolutely happy to do that. If that means that that helps eliminate or reduce some sort of mental roadblock or something that's stopping them from solving this problem. So what really compelled you to go from the lab to leadership? Honestly, I don't know that it was necessarily consciously my own decision to make that transition. It was something that other people that I had worked very closely with saw in me. I didn't even recognize it in myself that I was capable of being a leader. You know, I had been in the lab for many years with more and more responsibility, but still within the lab. And then somebody in the other side of the company at Halliburton, actually, I had one small meeting that this person was involved in. And whatever happened in that meeting, I made an impression on her. And a few months later, she asked if I would join her team on the leadership track. At first, I thought, well, that's not me. I don't really know how to do that. I don't know anything about that side of the business. Yeah, I struggled with it a lot initially. But what I came to realize is that I had to have faith in what other people saw in me that I didn't yet see in myself. And I'm really glad that I that leap 
to go over there because I was completely unprepared for this type of role <laughs> in this part of the company because I had become an expert in what I was doing and a subject matter expert. And to go from someone who has all the answers to someone who has no answers and has to constantly ask questions was very, very humbling. And it was the first really big lesson for me in sort of owning your career, taking challenges or challenging yourself and then learning what your strengths truly are. And sometimes in this case, it took someone else to see stuff in me that I didn't see in myself. But once I did this, I realized, you know what? I really like doing this. I almost like not knowing and then learning and coming out on top because you never know how strong you are until you challenge yourself. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. It's always so neat for me to hear these stories about how other people saw the potential of someone else. Yeah. <laughs> I think those are my favorite stories. Yeah. And that's how you know you've surrounded yourself with good people too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. That's awesome. So what is an experience you've had that has been difficult in the leadership role that's really stuck with you? I think it's an experience that happens quite often. I don't know that it's necessarily unique to leadership because, again, as a mother, I experience this a lot too. I never really know if I'm making the right decision. But I think the challenge is you have to, in the leadership role, you are expected to be a decision maker. If you are an effective leader, you must also be a decision maker. Yeah. And that means you're oftentimes making decisions without all of the information that you would like to have. And sometimes those work and sometimes they don't. On an everyday, uh, hopefully not every day, <laughs> let's say like a monthly basis, right? I am faced with just deciding something and then dealing with the repercussions of that if there are any, or at least praying that there aren't any. Right. <laughs> and hopefully none of them negatively impact my team or the morale on my team. I think that personally, I try to spend a lot of time building up the team spirit. And it doesn't take a lot to sort of break that down. I try to be very in tune with the kinds of things and the decisions that I'm making on a regular basis that could fracture my team and in our dynamic. Yeah, I get that. I definitely understand that. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of making big decisions either. Oh, somebody's <laughs> got to do it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So what would you say is the most rewarding thing about leadership. Okay. So I have a great example that happened just today. Ooh. And it's just a coincidence that we're talking and you're asking me this question. So today is National Bosses Day. Oh, is it? Yeah. I had no clue. I didn't either. Yeah. I better be Except getting I some phone into calls my... later. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what I get in. I walk into my office. I'm normally the first one here in the morning and I come in and there is a beautiful bouquet of flowers and a beautiful card that everyone on my team has signed Aww. saying how much they appreciate working for me. That is one of the most rewarding things about being a leader. Those little things that happen that tell you, maybe I'm doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Like I said, I better get some phone calls today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would that be? 
Oh, there are so many pieces of advice, right? Give it all to me. (laughs) Yeah. I think one that I like to stick to is to be true to who you are, especially as a woman in the oil field. Within oil and gas, I've always been in the technology, so in the R&D side of things. Very often, I was the only woman in the room. And when I started my career, I thought, I am different, but I should act and look and think like all of these people who are in this room because they've all been here longer and they all know better than me. I spent a couple of months just being quiet. And if you know me at all, you know that that is not me. (laughs) It's also not sustainable for me. If I have an opinion, I oftentimes will let you know that I have an opinion. (laughs) And so it took me a while to realize, you know what? They hired me because I'm different. They didn't hire me because I'm the same. So let me stand out. Let me be bold. Let me do all of those things that are me. And if they don't like it, then maybe this isn't the right place for me, right? right? But I guess to sum it up, don't be scared to be yourself at the risk of not being accepted because diversity is what makes teams successful. And if you shy back from who you are so that you fit in, then you're not only doing yourself a disservice, you're doing your company a disservice. Yeah, that's pretty fair. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think you and I have it a lot easier than most people have had it in this industry that are older than us, back when women weren't so prevalent. Yeah. And I think we've had it a quite a bit easier. But yeah, one of the things my dad told me whenever I first started in the industry was, keep your head down, be quiet and do your job. And I was like, have we met, bro? Although my dad did not say those words to me, I'm sure that he thought them. And sometimes when I tell him stories of how things are going at work or things that I've done, they're on the phone. But I imagine if I could see his face, it would be shock, right? (laughs) I cannot believe she said that or did that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I've told my dad all kinds of stories and he just shakes his head. Yeah. Because we're like in the way that we're both introverted, but introvert doesn't mean that I'm shy necessarily. Yeah. So, yeah, right. Yeah. It's funny how things are so much different now than, and for the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we are, Paige, to your point, we're very fortunate to live in this era where we can be ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. I've had a guest on before that when she started in the industry, She was in a completely different country and had to cut all her hair off and like had to taper her breast down to seem like a man to work. Oh my gosh. So yeah, we have it really well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. So what book has influenced you? A book that I'm listening to now, I'd like to say reading, but I'll be honest, I haven't had time to read a book for about a decade. (laughs) So the book that I'm listening to now is It Goes So Fast by Mary Louise Kelly. This was a book recommended by one of my college girlfriends who is a nurse at Mayo Clinic, and she has one daughter. She is always, as a nurse, working long hours. Mm -hmm. And she said, I think this book would really resonate with you, Megan. So I am listening to it, and I'm about halfway through. And sure enough, it resonates with me to the point where I was listening on an airplane, and I was totally unprepared for the chapter about when she had a traumatic birth experience, and I'm crying on the airplane, and my husband is like, are you okay? What is wrong with you? (laughs) Could you stop crying? (laughs) But it's resonating with me because she is very 
vulnerably discussing the balances between being a working, high-powered, successful woman with motherhood. Yeah. And it is really challenging to figure that out. I don't know that anybody has it figured out. And what works for one person is certainly not going to work for another. I think that what I've learned about myself is just allow myself the grace to mess up, (laughs) to be imperfect and allow that or accept that I'm going to have days where I totally rock it at work. Like I'm just going to like smash it. And then I'm going to go home and be too exhausted to pick up the living room or to have a dance party with the kids. And that's okay because maybe the next week it's the complete opposite. Maybe I've had all the fun with the kids and I'm not super focused at work, but it's give and take. And in the end, it's about balance. Right. Yeah. That's so important. The balance part. That's how you stay sane. (laughs) (laughs) If there is such a thing as sane, right? (laughs) (laughs) So what would you say is your most used business tool? Okay. I'll say that in terms of like general tools that everybody uses, that's not going to be a a game changer here, but obviously we use Microsoft a ton. We do all of our project reports within PowerPoint. So I'm always editing all of those. I would love to have a more advanced software where it would do all of this stuff automatically for me, but we are just not there yet. We're almost there. I mean, look at all the AI stuff. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time in graduate school writing all of the algorithms to automatically look at my data, make the plots the way I wanted them to, and so that I didn't have to spend all of the time doing it. I don't have any of that code anymore, so I'd have to start from scratch, and it's been a while. And I don't know that it's like riding a bike. I think I'd have to relearn some of it. But the second most used business tool is a software platform called Inveris, which allows us to look at production data. And I particularly use it for the downhole consumables to understand within our market that we play, generally called surfactants, who is using surfactants, what kind of products are they using, where are they using them. This information is incredibly useful for us to understand where the industry has been. Yeah where it's going, and which customers, which distributors, which products should we be focusing on? Right on. I know them. They used to be a sponsor. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Of this very show. So (laughs) they put out some good data. Who would you say is your most respected competitor? I'd say that Locust Bioenergy is in a unique position in the market where we Uh, On the face of it, we are a specialty chemical provider focusing on surfactants. So a lot of our competitors are those traditional sort of surfactant suppliers within the market. Uh But we are also, because we focus on a biosurfactant, using a biosurfactant across all of our products, that also puts us in the bio-based or green chemistry type arena too. And so that opens us up to a completely different set of competitors that focus on environmentally friendly chemistries within the oil field. So I would say that these two groups of competitors 
are completely different in how we need to approach them and approach our customers to differentiate ourselves from them. When it comes to the traditional surfactant provider, one thing that we try to show is that we are our products, because they contain the biosurfactant, are very potent at low dosage mm-hmm. rates, which sets us apart from some of those conventional chemistries. But then someone would say, well, okay, I'll just go to so-and-so and buy a biosurfactant from them. And I think what differentiates us from that group of competitors who play in the bio-based slash biosurfactant slash green chemistry side of the market is our approach to market, where we release high-performing formulated products into the market instead of just the biosurfactant as a raw material that can then be formulated with. The reason we do this is because we have seen, we had predecessors in this space many years ago, green chemistry came out and there was this negative connotation that happened, which was, well, green chemistry doesn't work and it's very expensive. And I think part of that is because a lot of our predecessors created this material and then kind of did one of these like, hey, good luck. Here it is. Have fun with it. Good luck. See what you can do. The problem is that not very many people have the patience (laughs) or the time or the resources to figure out what to do with these new chemistries. I mean, they're totally different from everything we've ever used. So why do we think that they're going to play the same? Okay. So we have taken all of that guesswork, all of that development out, and we've reduced the barrier to adoption for a lot of our customers so that from their perspective, it's, hey, I'm using chemical X today, and tomorrow I can just use Locust Bioenergy's chemical, and I don't have to do anything differently. And so I think that that sets us apart from both sets of competition without naming any names. What makes you better than the rest of them? I think that Locust Bioenergy has been around for about five years now. And our early days, we spent a lot of time fundamentally understanding the product that we were making. Because of that, the effort and the time and the brain power that went into that in the beginning, we have a really great grasp now on all the different ways that we can use it, which means we can go to market much faster than a lot of our competitors. And we have already established all of the test protocols, all of the formulations. We have a brand recognition within the market now. I think that we're poised to be at the front of this sort of ESG-friendly chemical Uh space, even if the industry isn't quite there. We're at the front of that line so that when they are, because it's just a matter of time, we'll be the ones that have all of the answers. Whereas I think a lot of our competition is still trying to understand. They're in the more fundamental understanding. We have this cool thing. What do we do with it? We're just ahead of them in that. Good deal. Good deal. So what would you say is your most important lesson learned, Megan? Oh, I think that for me, the most important lesson that I learned is that the business will go on with or without you. I have been fortunate enough to choose my career changes, but that's not true for a lot of people when the industry goes through a downturn. You see good people around you that are unlucky, I'll say. I had to recognize that, that it's very easy to give and give and give. But at the end of the day, the company isn't always going to choose you. I had to learn how to draw lines. And I think that for anybody who is coming up early in their career, 
One important thing to know about yourself is where is that line? That line is always going to be changing depending on which phase in your life you're at. But how much of myself do I give to work and how much of myself do I reserve for me and my personal life? Because it's really easy to blur those lines, especially when work from home became more common. My home office was in my bedroom at home because we didn't have an office. And imagine I was in there all day long and all night long and my computer was there and there was no separation. There was no physical separation between work and home. And I started to lose myself in that. I had to determine and realize, you know what? I am not going to work on Saturdays or Sundays unless it is an absolute emergency. And then I had not only I had to know that about myself, but I had to vocalize that with the people that I worked with. And that was very scary, especially as an executive saying, hey, listen, my family is important and I will be completely unavailable every single weekday from 4 to 7 p.m. when I am with my children. Boundaries are important. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how that people accepted it. And maybe that means that I'm at the right company working with the right people, but they not only accept that about me, but they respect that. That's great. I mean, you don't really come across that every single day where everybody's like, oh, okay, because it's so important to have that balance of life. I've been working from home before the pandemic. So I know exactly (laughs) how that works and how you have to be like, okay, no, no, I don't want to hear another word about a podcast until Monday. Like, no more. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) In fact, I don't even listen to podcasts. So. (laughs) So if whatever my editor does, my executive producer does, I have no idea. I don't listen to it. So I hope they're doing me good. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? right? You have to figure out what you need to be bring the best of you into your job. And that's what you need. Exactly. It's so important that people have that work life balance. So definitely thank you for sharing that. So how do you think your role now is important to the future of the industry? Oh, my gosh. There's different ways I can answer this question. So how is technology in general important to the future of the industry? Technology enables our industry to continue pushing the boundaries. And if we do not innovate, we are going to be stuck. And I think that there are so many examples throughout history where we have innovated and we've been better for it. And so we just need to keep allowing ourselves to push that frontier of what we know into the unknown, and then make that unknown something that we know. I think that from a scientific perspective, that is incredibly exciting. Technology is often, especially chemical technology, underrated. But honestly, we are where we are today because of the technological advancements that have been made over centuries. The other way I want to answer it is as a female leader in the industry. I think that that is important because more and more, we need to show the younger generation that you can be a woman, you can look and act and sound like a woman, and you can still be successful, that we no longer need to fit in into the old boys club. One of my favorite things to do, I love fashion, and I love being bold in my fashion choices. And I'm always wearing different things in bright colors. Um, Oh, same. Yeah. See, so you get this. I love to show up and be the person in the room who looks completely different from everyone else. I want to wear bright pink in a sea of black. Mm -hmm. I think that personally, this is incredibly important for me to just keep achieving 
hopefully without limits, because I do have a four and a half year old daughter. Mm -hmm. It takes on a different meaning that hopefully one day she can look at what her mom has achieved and it will inspire her to chase her dreams, whatever they may be, and overcome any obstacles, any self-doubt that she has. Yeah, that's amazing. I like fashion too. Awesome. Yeah. We're kindred spirits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I'm known for my red lipstick. So, and that's nice. Yeah. And Gables, where redheads aren't supposed to wear red lipstick. Well, guess what? I do. Yeah, exactly. Break all those barriers, girl. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, what are your thoughts about telling someone about this industry that doesn't quite understand the industry? I would say that as an industry, we are driven towards continuous improvement in in terms of how we extract materials from the earth, how we can improve that efficiently, and how we can improve the safety of that. I do think that people, when they think of oil and gas, they think of all of those negative connotations, right? Where the water is coming out of the faucet and they're lighting it on fire. And maybe those things existed at some point, but safety is such a huge message across the industry. You have safety moments at the beginning of every meeting. You have safety stand downs. You have safety inspections. We're not just going out here doing things willy-nilly. There is always a plan and there are always many people across many different functions in a company involved in developing these plans to make sure that we execute safely for the environment, for the community, and for our, our own employees. Right, right. Because a lot of people don't realize that if we didn't have these safety plans in place, somebody's probably going to die. Right, yes. You know? Yeah, yeah. there are huge <laughs> consequences if we don't think of all of these things. Right, exactly. So do you have a favorite podcast? I'll just say like generally, I really like true crime podcasts. And part of the reason is because when I was younger, my very first career aspiration as a young girl was to be a coroner. Ooh. Yeah. To the point where I was actually, again, I'm from a small town. And so my dad was a very prominent figure in the community and he knew the county coroner. So he called in a favor and the county coroner called me on three or four occasions to come and help him perform autopsies. Uh-huh. So I've always been fascinated by crime and death, as morbid and twisted as it might seem. I thought I was going to go to school and study forensics. I did like side courses on forensics. I joined my particular research lab in graduate school because the project that I was going to work on was building a camera that can see invisible blood stains at crime scenes. Ooh, that's so cool. It was all a dream come true. And now here I am in oil and gas. <laughs> I just channel my childhood ambition by listening to true crime podcasts and then watching true crime television. I was going to say, were you a fan of the show called Bones? I did like Bones. I'll say I would prefer to watch Bones over CSI. I could oh, not yeah, stand CSI sure. scientifically. I took a lot of issues with CSI, <laughs> but the good news is it did get sort of the idea of forensic science out there in the community, even if it was misunderstood, at least it was something that people started to understand and talk about and appreciate scientists. So I give it credit for that. Very good. Very good. 
All right, Megan, thank you so much for joining me today. If people want to know more about you or get to know more about your company, how can they go about doing so? Yeah, you can always find me on LinkedIn, Megan Pearl, or you can go to our company website, locustbioenergy.com. Perfect, perfect. All right, well, that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.